This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. Greg, is it the return of Salty Greg today? I know you got a lot of play on Felger and Maz yesterday. I saw a Twitter blowing up. I know. I don't know. I got everybody a little pissed off from uh, <laughs> Felger and Maz to my my guy Jerry Thornton at Barstool. Like all that, yeah. It's surly season around the uh, Boston media. Let's go. We all learned last podcast that when Greg's a little bit under the weather, a little salty, gets a little more <clears> salty, <throat> fired up, and obviously uh, a lot of people reacted to that. So let's get to today's podcast. Let's start with some uh, quick hit news items, Greg, that we have. The story about Nikhil Harry all over Twitter yesterday, uh, Mike Garofolo of the NFL Network reporting that the Patriots are getting calls on Harry. A, do you believe that they're getting calls? B, what would you expect the return to be if they decided to trade Harry? Do I think they're getting calls, Nick? Um, yeah, probably. I mean, I, I don't know if they're getting calls specifically about Nikhil Harry. Basically what happens this time of year, and probably more so this year, Nick, with just the uncertainty and there's probably a a lot of teams before they are cutting some of these guys they're probably calling and trying to deal them to get something even if it's you know not even if it's like a fifth round pick or something at least it's something that you have to show for cutting a guy like say and and we'll touch on these guys in a minute but like you know eric fisher with the chiefs or mitchell schwartz with the chiefs um you know emmanuel sanders with the saints I'm sure uh, uh, those teams are calling around being like, hey, you want to give us a draft pick? Like the Patriots did with Trent Brown, which is an interesting offshoot to this discussion, which I'm sure we'll get into. But um, I, I, I think that – let's just say I think Nikhil Harry has been discussed. Who, who's calling who? I don't know. But to me, Nick, given – using my experience and I think it's now 20 years covering the NFL um, – I think that this is this smells agent driven to me, um, hmm. not only because of the report, but also the reporter. And this is not a criticism on Mike Garofalo, who's a great you know, reporter. He's just I don't know. I don't remember the last time he came out with a report that was Patriots slanted. Um, you know, certain guys have their their sources and. Uh, you know, you can tell whether they're connected to the team or the agent or what have you. Me, the report and the reporter tells me, or at least indicates to me, leans that this is a agent-generated report where maybe Nikhil Harry's agents are saying, you know what, um, we see the writing on the wall here. It's not really working. There's going to be another quarterback. Who knows if this guy likes Nikhil? Uh, you know, he's getting closer and closer to you know, free agency or fifth-year option. Maybe we need to start over someplace else. To me, that's the way it smells, Nick. And what they could get for him, uh, I I don't know, probably around a fifth-round pick, fourth-round pick, something like that. The production just hasn't been there. And I don't care what kind of potential the guy has, and I don't know how you feel, but I still feel like the guy has some potential. Why it hasn't worked here yet, I don't know. Some of it could be a victim of circumstances. I don't I don't look at him and think he's a total bust or lost cause yet, but 
uh, you know, maybe somebody else really liked him coming out of college more or the same as the Patriots. And they think like the 49ers, I think he would fit well with what they do. Um, there's more consistency there. We've seen them with bigger wide receivers. It works as opposed to the Patriots has never really worked um, in our time here. So, um, I, you know, I just, maybe it's just time for Nikhil to move on, but I'm not ready to call him a bust yet. I actually agree with you. Uh, I'm one of those guys. I've been tweeting about this since the season. I don't think Harry is useless. Uh, I think some of the circumstances that have played into this, you know, you go back to his rookie season, the first eight games lost cause because of injury. Then he comes back. We all know that Brady doesn't necessarily love chucking it to the young guys. I don't know if he had Brady's trust totally in that rookie season the rest of the way. Uh, and then last year, I thought he was open a number of times, and because of the quarterback play, they couldn't get him the football. And uh, am I saying that he's a true number one stud? No. And I think when you draft a wide receiver in the first round, that's what you want in return. So as far as where they drafted Harry, I think it was a miss. But Harry, as a football player, I think he could be a two guy. I, I do think he could be a number two, maybe a number three, depending on the offense he's in. And I do wonder if he goes somewhere else, he's used differently, different scheme. Maybe just maybe we see more from Harry than what we've seen in New England, because I, I tend to agree with you. I do not think he's a complete lost cause yet. Uh, other stuff that happened in the NFL this morning, the Chiefs making headlines all over the place within the last 45 minutes, really. Uh, as we start this podcast on on Thursday morning, Eric Fisher, Mitchell Schwartz, they're uh, both of their starting tackles. So Schwartz and Fisher have been released. Your thoughts on that and how it might actually connect with the Patriots and some of the decisions that they've made recently. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised, Nick. And it's what's interesting is that um, talking to a Patriots source, um, you know, and this was my my sort of backing of their decision to do this was if you needed any more evidence that you need offensive line depth, look at the Super Bowl. It, yeah. The lack of offensive line depth cost the Chiefs a Super Bowl, or at least being in that Super Bowl. And what happens? The Chiefs just eliminate their offensive line depth. You know, it's uh, it's amazing. I mean, I haven't looked at their cap. I would say, Nick, that this is a uh, this is a shot to the bow of the cap is crap people. Uh, because I don't think the Kansas City Chiefs, after costing themselves the Super Bowl with by not having their offensive tackles, um, would cut their offensive tackles with no ready replacements. I agree. Um, unless they had to. I mean, you know, there. Yes, you. It's absolutely true that you can manipulate salary cap room any way you want to, Nick. You could take your fifty. You know, say you have a guy with. For example, real quick, you have a guy, say say Dak Prescott is making $45 million, you know, and, and he's doing that for four years. Um, once he gets to the end of his deal, and you could extend him for another, you know, two, three, four years and spread out that $45 million in one year and then, you know, have a void year and all of a sudden it comes. The, 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 the point is, Nick, the bill is going to come due at some point in time. And this yeah. is probably an offshoot of Mahomes' contract. I have not, you know, I have, you know, Kelsey has gotten paid. A lot of guys have gotten paid yet. I, I am not up to date on, on the caps. Oh, they're, they're up against it. They're up against it. I'll tell you yeah. that. They, they were over the cap. So this is absolutely a big reason for this is absolutely financial. 
Yeah, I mean that's interesting because I didn't I didn't think that, that they were in bad that bad of trouble. I thought they could have just gotten by with some restructures, but you know, I, I I've always thought Fisher is a little overrated. I think Mitchell Schwartz is really good. Both are coming off serious injuries, yeah. so maybe. Hopefully, well, I don't know. I mean, hopefully the Chiefs at least went to those guys and said, look, we're going to technically release you, but we're going to re-sign you at a little bit of a lower rate. If you guys agree, it'll help us out cap-wise. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. But hopefully something like that goes on because it's very odd. Both of your Pro Bowl tackles are gone in one offseason. Something doesn't smell right. So, But, yeah, the offshoot to this is, did the Patriots need to make a trade for Trent Brown? If two if two tackles are on the market, the quality of, you know, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, let alone all the other guys, and maybe some of the free agents, did the Patriots need to give up a fifth round pick and to pay a guy upwards of eleven million dollars to play one year at a position where they already have people? I don't know. I mean, I don't have a definitive answer on that, Nick. I just think it's. I would say that this move that the chiefs made would indicate that the Patriots maybe rushed a little bit into getting Trent Brown. And even look, and and I know there were reports that the Raiders were not going to release him, that they were going to carry him to camp, blah, blah, blah. A, I don't believe that, but B let's just say that's true. The Patriots could have gone through free agency releases, street free agency, all that stuff. And Trent Brown still would have been available. And who knows? Maybe the price would have went down. Yeah, the way I look at the Brown stuff is versus Fisher and Schwartz. You mentioned it, serious injuries. And I know Brown has been dinged up, but these are serious injuries. Fisher blew out his Achilles, you know, right before the Super Bowl. Uh, I forget where Schwartz had, but he had a significant injury. So the injuries play a role in this. And also, yeah, you could possibly go out and get Fisher and Schwartz, but are they going to cost you more, number one? And number two, would they be looking for more security than just a one-year deal? I, again, don't have a problem with the Trent Brown thing. One-year deal, motivate the guy, let's see what happens. Uh, you were mentioning, though, we just talked about the Chiefs, cap space, cap is crap. You know, We all know that Felger has been you know, pumping that for a number of years. And there's yep. an argument on Twitter all, every day during this time of year. You know, Cap is crap, cap is legit, cap is crap, cap is legit. Uh, we talk about Fisher and Schwartz getting released as a cap move. Another team that's been in trouble is the Saints. And I know that, you know, Nick Underhill down there in New Orleans does a great job. He's been in New England before, runs his own website, and he's been following along and telling people, listen, the cap stuff isn't that big of a deal. They can do restructures. They can release some guys. They're not going to hemorrhage people. But, you know, over the last couple of days, you know, you, you see some of these moves, and one of the moves is Emmanuel Sanders. He was released by the Saints yesterday. Is he a fit in New England, Greg? Absolutely. I mean, look, I don't know where he is at this point in his career. I have not watched him that closely this year. Um, you know, it is interesting that, you know, both the 49ers and the Saints only took one year Manny Sanders, and and that was it. Um, yeah, I mean, look, this is a guy that they signed to an offer sheet. Um, that was another miscue on Belichick's part that he didn't offer more. And actually, I want to talk about <clears throat> offer sheets and restricted free agents if we get to it um, later on in the pod. But, uh, yeah, I think he does. I mean, hopefully he has a little bit. He's he's one veteran that I would 
let's just say this. He would be an upgrade over some of the Deadwood veterans that they brought in here the last few years. I mean, if you're talking, if you're, instead of bringing in uh, Eric Decker and Demarius Thomas and these guys, and you're bringing in Manny Sanders, that's an upgrade. And at least, you know, there's better competition. So I'm all for Manny Sanders coming back on a cheap deal with the, not coming back, but coming to the Patriots. Uh, They could, they could use him. He could play inside, outside. He does not fit their profile that that they're hopeful of to have um, to go more youth with the money that they use this offseason. But that's not going to hold true to everybody. Yeah, I mean, I think you could do a lot worse than Emmanuel Sanders. I've loved this guy for a while. I yep. thought he was going to be a bigger piece in New Orleans. He still did a decent job when you look at the numbers. He's well into his 30s, but I think he's somebody that you're going to sign short term. And he's going to give you something, you know, and I feel like he's dependable. He might not be the number one that everybody is seeking. He certainly is not that, but he is somebody that brings you that veteran presence. He is somebody that can catch the freaking football and make some plays. So I don't mind the idea of Emmanuel Sanders, especially if you strike out elsewhere, which reminds me in just a couple of minutes, Greg and I, we're going to get to our free agent wish list. Some guys we think that reasonably, the Patriots can sign. We're not going to sit there and just build this, you know, super team and throw crap against the wall. Some reasonable yeah. option for the Pats and what we like. But before we get to the free agent wish lists, uh, Greg, for you and I, one last quick hit news item that I wanted to take a look at. The Patriots, they get two comp picks. A lot of people, pretty much all of us, thought they were going to get three. Seems like it's a weird thing with the system that, you know, they did not get credit uh, you know, for certain things, they got hit on the uh, injury for Landon Roberts. They got hit because, you know, Bo Allen didn't play, but they didn't really change the formula for Allen. All that stuff is just confusing to me. But at the end, they've got two comp picks instead of three. And this also reminds us of something you've been talking about with Joe Tooney going back to last offseason, the idea of tagging him, the compensatory picks, your thoughts on all of it. Yeah, so the comp picks, uh, the way it went is there's this guy at overthecap.com, Nick Cordy, who you know normally nails these. He missed a few this year, including the Patriots. He had going in, he had the Patriots getting a third for Tom Brady, which we knew. And then you figured two fourths for Kyle Van Noy and uh Jamie Collins. And for right. some reason they didn't get a second, fourth round pick. Uh I don't know the um I, I I think I I don't know what the the computations are and and I don't know I, I I put a lot of faith in what the Patriots do with that they obviously had their reasons you know I know um you know our guy Evan Lazar was saying stuff like call me a homer but he's mad that not only did the Patriots get docked for the filming in the Browns now this he thinks there's some of course he thinks there's some conspiracy theory against the Patriots and like look I mean the, the, this is a complex formula. And it came out that way. And, and apparently, from what I see, it's something that uh, something about Demir Bird's contract, right? Uh, ended up screwing something up. And, yeah, and there's Bird. a lot of clauses it, that yeah, it was it was Bird's playing time. It was the Alandon Roberts injury, yeah. and it also was I think you know the Patriots got some kind of credit for Bo Allen, which you know he didn't do anything. The, the yep. one thing I'll say about the comp pick before you get to your Tooney point, it's just, as you said, it's complex. I don't think that does the league any favors. No one knows what the hell's going on. Like, we just follow one guy, Nick Cordy. He comes out and says, yeah, 
I think this is going to happen. It reminds me of the NBA CBA. When I host radio shows and you take phone calls and people are like, oh, well, why don't they just do this and that? And, and you've got to go over the, the minutia of the NBA CBA, which just drives me nuts. Similar to the comp, uh, compensatory picks where it's just it, it's it's just so complex. No one really has a clear idea. As well, to- I get it. And, and I, I to, to your point, Nick, and, and you bring up a good point. Um, the team, I, t- I, as far as I know, the teams don't even know the formula, but <laughs> because I've talked, <clears throat> I've talked with GMs in the past and there's That's one crazy. team. Yeah, exactly. But th- there's one, one NFL team and one GM that I, that I talked to that over the years, they thought they've had the formula figured out and they think they have a competitive advantage and their comp pairing huge every year on what they do because they will they will let guys go they will sign street free agents just to get those comp picks and so that it's a good point and i will text i will text him after we're done with this to see if he smells anything wrong with the patriots and with what happened with the patriots and that should give us an answer but so this relates to the Joe Tooney thing. We did not talk about it in the last podcast because the decision on franchise tags uh, largely did not come down until after the finalized. So, done. And so it was finalized that the Patriots did not tag Joe Tooney this year. They did not use their franchise transition tag. Um, this was a colossal mistake by Bill Belichick. His decision to tag last year at the last minute, uh, basically what it did, assuming the Patriots signed a high-priced free agent this year, wide receiver, tight end, what have you, to offset what Joe Tooney's going to sign for. Uh, the decision to tag Joe Tooney and not let him walk last year, the alternative was the Patriots could have signed him, which happened. They, they tagged him after Tom Brady told them he was not coming back just to remind people of the timeline, because a lot of people think they did it to entice Brady to come back, which I don't really think he would have cared about. But anyways, so they tagged Joe Tooney last year, and that cost them $15 million in salary. The alternative was they could have signed a street-free agent to plug in a guard with uncertainty of what's going on with the Patriots at quarterback, no wide receivers, no tight ends, COVID, what have you, uh, they could have re-signed Ted Karras and put him there, and it would have been about $10 million cheaper. And here's the thing, Nick. So not only – if the Patriots let Joe Tooney walk last year, which now in hindsight, even though I brought this up at the time, now in hindsight after 7-9, and nine, what was the point? They would have fi- $15 more million dollars on their salary cap. They would be far and away – have the most in the league right now. And they would have an extra third round comp pick this year. Now, if they sign a comparable free agent this year, they're out the $15 million and they do not get a third round compensatory pick next year. So basically to me, and people will argue, they'll say, oh, well, this and that and the season and he's trying to win and that and that. These calculations go in all the time. You know, whether the Patriots let Nate Solder walk, they get a comp pick for that, or Kyle Van Noy or Jamie Collins. They, you make these calculations all the time. Is the money worth it? Is losing that draft pick worth it? The Patriots cost themselves $15 million in a third-round pick tagging Joe Tooney, and I think it was a humongous mistake. 
I think you've won that argument. I do. I, I think when you look back in hindsight, and you called this in real time, I, I think you win that argument. Let's jump to our free agent wish lists here. Guys that we're looking at, we think can fit. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I tried to guess some of the names that you were going to throw out there. So I tried to go, <laughs> I try to go a different route and, and try to find different names. So I guess let's uh, let's go through your list here quickly. Uh, let's start at tight end. I don't think anybody would be surprised by this. There were a bunch of gifts and memes tweeted out as soon as this guy we found out was not going to be tagged on Tuesday. His name is Hunter Henry, Greg. Yeah, I just think it's, you know, look, I would be fine with him or Jonu Smith, one of the guys. Uh, I would just say my preference is Henry because he's he's 26 years old. He's uh, six foot. Uh, I was just looking it up. Six foot six, I think he is. Six five, 250 pounds. Belichick has a long history with this guy. Knows his high school coach, spoke at his high school. Um He's he's the he's one of the best Y traditional tight ends that I've seen come around in a long time. Now look, he gets hurt a lot. There's no question about that, and that's part of the calculus here. Yep. And uh, which I don't like to do, uh, but you know, look, I think that they should sign Hunter Henry if he gets hurt. I'm not going to rip the Patriots. I mean, you know, look, it is what it is. Um, but I think he, I think if you. And, and I also think that Hunter Henry fits well with what you might have at tight end because, you know, you still have Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene as a fullback tight end hybrid. Um, I'm not expecting those guys to hit this year, but let's just say Asiasi builds off the last game of the season. He fits more in the Aaron Hernandez tight end, athletic tight end role. Right. Um, and that makes him a good pairing with Hunter Henry. So that's why I go – Hunter Henry over Johnny Smith, but look, beggars can't be choosers, and I'll take either guy. Yeah, I've got Johnny Smith at tight end, uh, legit receiving tight end. He's got yep. tons of yak skill. Uh, he can kill you down the seam. I do think he's you know athletic, like you're bringing up, and I do think Hunter Henry is probably a better fit. But Johnny's been healthier, uh, so I, I would go with Johnny Smith. Everybody wants a wide receiver, Greg. We all know the Patriots need a wide receiver. You have a wide receiver. When he was in Philly, people were cracking on this guy for dropping footballs. That that news story clip, that would be the greatest thing ever when the guy's yes. talking about Nelson Aguilar and he just looks at the camera <laughs> in dead pants, which is one of my favorite moments of the last couple of years. So it wasn't, didn't he catch it? Was that the guy who caught a baby, like, come out of yeah. a window and, like, didn't drop it like Nelson baby. Aguilar? Yeah, yeah, and he's like, he's not like Nelson Aguilar, and he looks at the camera. One of the best moments of all time. Uh, so, but no, but Aguilar goes to Vegas. He actually put together a pretty good season. Uh, you and I yep. talked about him. I don't know if it was last podcast or it was last week. They all run together. But you've got Aguilar as an option at wide receiver. Yeah, um, that's a. I, I might say that's a little bit of. Let's just say I think the Patriots like him. Um, Ooh, and I think I think that. Yeah, and look, and remember, and I think we've mentioned this before, at least I've written it, um, you know, the Patriots optimally, um, they use their money to get youth and versatility, and that goes double for offense and I think also a wide receiver. So instead of, you know, the antithesis of that would be like A.J. Green, who's old and he's a boundary possession receiver at this point. Right. So, 
Aguilar can do everything. He can go inside, outside. He can run jet sweeps. He can do whatever. You're absolutely right. Um, it didn't work out for him in Philly, which, you know, could make it you're a little scary to come to a similar place like Boston on the East Coast where, you know, in Vegas where nobody really cares. He played better. Um, I, I just think that he fits what they do. I think he played a lot better last year. Um, I'm not overpaying for any of the wide receivers, but I also think that the Patriots will be active on the trade market, say, and, and maybe I should have put this down and, and I don't know if they'll do it because of the money, but um, BJ, I would not, I would not rule out the Patriots in a trade for uh, Allen Robinson. Oh, say that. nice. Nice. So yeah. I, under I, the tag. Very interesting. Allen Robinson is a dog, as Cam Newton would say. Yes. Uh, that guy, he's got great hands. Uh, he's a very good route runner. He plays all the time through injuries and all that stuff. Uh, seems to be a leader with his head on right. And, you know, very good in the red zone because he's a nice, he's a bigger target. And again, he's dependable. He's fought through double coverage throughout a, a lot of his time in Chicago. He's played with bad quarterbacks and made them look really good. Allen Robinson's a stud. Uh, my my wide receiver that I threw out there is Curtis Samuel. I think yeah. he's somebody that, you know, I kind of love what he can do. You talk about versatility. I think he can hurt defenses on all three levels. He can be the screen guy, the jet sweep guy. He can run intermediate routes, and, and he also can beat you deep and stretch the field. He has that speed element that the Patriots desperately need. And overall, I would just say playmaker. And I don't think the Patriots have enough playmakers on offense. I think Samuel is a playmaker. He plays downhill, even for his size. He plays physical. So I, I think he could be a lot of fun in the Josh McDaniels offense. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good name. That's a that's a name that I uh, threw out there at the trade deadline for them to get on uh, the final year of his deal. And then, you know, maybe you recoup the comp at the, at, you know, at the worst. Uh, you know, tough time differentiating, but how much better in terms of how much spend and Demir Bird's already been here and he works in this offense, um, you know, but you, your point's well taken. He's, he's a good football player. He does a lot of things and I would be fine with him here. All right. Next on your list, another cap casualty, Quan Alexander linebacker. Yeah, this is an int this is a very interesting situation because I think this is a guy who was traded around the deadline from San Francisco to the Saints and then only played like a game or two with the Saints and got hurt. And yep. Uh he was on his way to getting a big contract. And there's a chance to get cheap and on the rebound, he's an linebacker he runs all over i think if you can get a good um a good price on him he would be an excellent player to plug in a high tower and see and that happens in the draft but he's a football player uh played in the three four you know sort of versatile scheme in in san francisco with what they do there i think he fits what the patriots do um he would be a guy that i would add at linebacker all right, we have a couple of guys that mirror each other, so I'll just go with one more. Uh, and it's on the defensive yep. side. I gave you a couple of offensive guys. Dalvin Tomlinson, he's one of those, yeah. you know, 6'3", 320 defensive tackles, a legitimate run stopper, 
and I think he gives you help next to Lawrence Guy, who I think you do bring back. So to have the the double team of Tomlinson and Guy, you know, whether you rotate them from time to time, whatever you do, you need another guy. Bo Allen is not going to be the person you need him to be. You need somebody to play in the middle of that line. I know you've brought up, you know, some other names, and I know you've got other names as well that we'll get to. I've got Dalvin Tomlinson as that defensive lineman run stopper that this team, I think, desperately needs. Absolutely. He would be, uh, you know, now that Leonard Williams tagged um, Nick, I would think that Dalvin Tomlinson would be number one on my interior defensive lineman list. But my problem is how expensive is he going to be? I think he's going to get really get paid. And so, and also that's why I eliminated Shelby Harris in Denver because I think he's really good. And I don't want to go old. So I put Sheldon Rankins from the Saints, who maybe is not as good as Tomlinson, but he's, he's, going to be 27 this season um you know really good player in that scheme gets hurt a little bit I mean Kwan Short I would also have out there but yep. he would be a one year he's 32 one year I love KK I think he's a, he's still a really good player but uh you know no question that Dalvin Tomlinson's the best interior lineman now on the free agent market So as you said, Sheldon Rankins is on your list. Then you've got a couple of guys you want to bring back, which we've talked about in prior episodes with David and Lawrence Guy. Uh, Let's jump down to the RFAs. Very interesting situation. Restricted agents. You know, there's a lot of juggling here. There's a lot of strategy here. Uh, There's one guy that just played a great season in Green Bay. One of the dudes that Aaron Rodgers depended on all season long, Robert Tunyon. You have him down as somebody to keep an eye on. Yeah, Nick, I think this is interesting, and I'm going to write a column on this. And and look, we have to wait on the timing on this, and we have to see who is tendered and at what level. And what I mean by that is NFL players who have finished their third year of uh, eligibility um, service time in the NFL, they are, after their third seasons, they are restricted free agents. So the team gets the first opportunity to uh, to, to to have them back if they are free agents. So a lot of guys have a four-year, five-year contract, but these are guys whose contract expires after three years, mostly undrafted guys, late-round picks. And the team has an opportunity to either tender to them at a first-round level, which is more expensive. That's the compensation that they get back if they are signed by somebody else. A second-round level or original-round tender. Or they could not tender them altogether. Depending on what the teams do, I might be interested in some of these guys, and here's why, Nick. This, if you were looking to get younger, to get starter-level players, and you have a war chest of cap money compared to other teams in the league, this is what you do, Nick. You go and you raid the teams that are up against the cap, and you pluck all their good restricted free agents. Because here's the thing. Unless they are prepared to completely you know, destroy their roster. Yep. And so let's say, for example, let's use the Manny Sanders thing when he was on Pittsburgh, who are always up against the cap. And the Patriots that year had cap space and they completely screwed the pooch because they only offered Manny Sanders like a $3 million deal or something. Like that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which the Steelers were able to match. If the, if the, if you construct the contract, in a way where the team, like say the Patriots said, well, we're going to give him a $10 million signing bonus and a three-year deal. The money might be the same, but that $10 million in that year, the Steelers yep. couldn't have done it. 
unless they went and cut people and released people. And so they would have been like, you know what? We can't do it. The Patriots screwed the pooch on that one. They easily could have had Emmanuel Sanders. They messed up. Um, this is the time with, you know, $68 million in cap space. If you go look, go look at the Saints, any team that is going to be tied up against the cap, and we have to see what these teams do to get under the cap by the start of the league year, Nick, we'll have an idea of, all right, which teams can't do anything, which teams have restricted free agents, what did they tender them at? You know, obviously they're not going to, Patriots aren't going to give up first round picks for a bunch of guys, but second round picks, original round offers, yeah. You know, and Robert Tunyon and Cam Sims, the wide receiver from the from the from Washington, are two guys just like I, you know, just jumped out to me. I will do a lot more studying on this once we get closer to the league year. And Washington's a team that has cap space, so that's problematic. But you get my gist. Those are the type of guys that I think the, the Patriots they could go get. You sign Hunter Henry and you prepare an offer sheet for Robert Tunyon, you're done at tight end for like the next five years. And you yeah. have two really good tight ends, and they're young. And so that's just my point on that. I love the idea. I love the strategy. We'll see if Belichick loves it as much as we do. Uh, question of the day. I don't have it on my little sheet here. <laughs> that uh, Greg will find one. So, Greg, did you find one? And if you did, what was the question? I did. And uh, this is an offshoot of um, uh, the Joe Tooney stuff, which uh, apparently a lot of the BSJ members do not like um, people stating facts and pointing out when Bill Belichick actually made a colossal mistake. You know, look, guy's the greatest guy ever. Let's not get all sensitive about it, you know. Uh, uh, but here it is. Um, so he, uh, R. Martinow. Asks, and this is a legitimate question and something I don't think I really touched on in my column. Is there any possible scenario that the Patriots sign Tooney to a three-year, $36 million deal now, or is that horse out of the barn? I, that horse is likely out of the barn, Nick, but I did want to make this this point. And, and somebody brought this up to me around the Patriots that, like, you know, maybe the Patriots were okay not tagging him because – they don't think there's going to be a lot of money out there, blah, blah, blah. I, I disagree with that. I think that, you know, Brandon Scherf getting tagged, Joe Tooney and Corey Lindsley, the center from the Packers, they're by far the two best offensive linemen available in free agency. And how are you a team that has blocking problems? Like, say, you know, the Bengals with Joe Burrows, who got killed last year. How do you yeah. not come and sign Joe Tooney and whoever you can? to a $15 million contract. I just don't know how that happens. But let's just say that happens. Let's say Bill Belichick used in his calculation um, because he he proves he's smarter than us, and especially me, that he says, you know what? I don't think Joe Tooney's going to get what he thinks he's going to get, and we're going to come and we're going to offer him a contract because we have cap space. Nick, that could very well happen. And if that happens, then I will have egg on my face. That, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe not, maybe tagging him last year was a good move because if he, they would have tagged, if they didn't tag him last year, he would be gone. Now they have a chance to get Joe Tooney. Do I think that's going to happen? No. Do I think there's like a 3% chance of that happening? Yes. But if that happens, then that changes the calculus on the Joe Tooney decision. Yeah. And honestly, with the, with the trade for Trent Brown, I just don't think that would be. Yeah the best Good way and money, you know, I mean, you brought in Trent Brown, you can now kick on or win into left guard. 
And I, I just think that Trent Brown move was made because Belichick knew Tooney's not coming back. I, I think Tooney's going to break the bank. I think he's going to go to Cincinnati. I, I think the Bengals are going to pay out through the nose for that guy. Uh, and, and I think he's going to get mad bank. So I'm not planning on Tooney being a part of the Patriots. If I'm wrong, again, Greg and I will show up on this podcast. You can watch the video version of it as we get egg thrown on our face. And we'll. And, and also, I, if that happens, I will wear some sort of Belichick is a golden god t-shirt or something. There you the go. Podcast. There yeah. you go. You heard it here. If Tooney's back as a Patriot, Greg will embarrass himself. It's the Greg Bedard yep. Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles episode, I don't know, 773. Uh, everybody yep. have a good weekend. Be safe. Be good. Be healthy. If you can get a vaccination, get vaccinated. I did. Arms a little sore, but I feel pretty good. Uh, until next time, uh, it's the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles.